And with that, friends, we welcome you back into the One Giant Podcast, where, as always, I'm Adam Albrecht, and joined by the healthy, wealthy, and wise, one Mr. Andy Makowitz. You know, Adam, I was having a great day yesterday, and I stayed up late to watch the Philadelphia Eagles-San Francisco 49ers game, and that one actually made me more upset than the Rams versus the Giants. I don't know if you felt the same way, but I was like, this is this is debilitating. This is demoralizing. Especially when I was having a conversation with a friend and saying, you know, listen, get into this meat and potatoes of the schedule for the Giants, the middle part of the season, two games against the Washington football team, two games against the Philadelphia Eagles. And I was really hanging my hat actually on the Philadelphia Eagles and saying, they're not good this year, right? They're, they're not good this year. That means that those are winnable games and you could go, three out of four against those against those two teams over those four games. And then it's insult to injury. One, Philadelphia wins the game, so they're one, two, and one leading the NFC East. And then on top of which, you also have them scoring points against that 49ers defense, really making it an even tougher pill to swallow from week three when the Giants fell to them 36 to nine. So yeah, it, it took some of the, and this is obviously as we, we've been saying this season, uh, you know, a rough year for Giants fans in general, but it took some of the the excitement, if I can frame it that way, of the Giants doing a lot of nice things in their week four loss to the Rams, 17 to nine, as we know they fall. What were your initial takeaways just coming out of that game? Where again, we, we have a hard time getting points on the board, but you're talking about one of the, one of the better teams in the NFL in, in the LA Rams. You know, it's funny because losses do feel different. After the San Francisco game, you felt like we didn't have very many positives to take away. You know, you and I were talking about after the San Francisco game, the last team to win a game that they didn't force the opposing team to punt was like 1992, right? So The classic. By the way, a game where neither team punted. So it was 34-31, I think, you know, a high-scoring affair because both teams were doing so well. It wasn't just one team not, you know, not punting the ball. Right, exactly. And and so, you know, a- after that game, it just felt like, yeah, we, we didn't really have a direction, have a North Star. You did like how the defense played, um, you know, their bend-don't-break mentality until the the late in the third when, when things started getting away from them. I mean – if the Giants have an identity, it is on this defense. Uh, the defense played so well yesterday. When you think about you know how explosive the Rams' offense can be, the Giants limited them to 58 yards rushing on the ground, which is wild. Uh, you know they were averaging two and a half yards a carry. The Giants made the Rams one-dimensional, and that's what we talked about some in, in our pre-show was. If the Giants can find a way to stop the run, they're going to make Jared Goff win the game, and you can start making them a little bit more predictable. So, you know, kudos to the Giants' defense for playing as well as they did. I know, you know, I I can't speak uh, highly enough about how well they played, but I'll turn it over to you because I know that you were really excited about the way that, you know, they came out on Sunday. Yeah, listen, there's some things we'll get into here in a moment as far as personnel on the field for the Giants, but you're talking about a defense that, to your point, really stymied the run game all the way through wire to wire, didn't give up any big plays in the run game. And then on top of which, coming out of halftime, you surrendered 104 passing yards to uh, Jared Goff. You only allowed him to go for a 57.4 QBR, just 6.3 yards uh, per completion, one touchdown, no interceptions. There's a lot of things to like there from a 
New York football giant standpoint on the defensive side of the ball. Now, is it unfortunate that in these games and now we're getting into the quarter point of the season here and, and we're seeing them not get rewarded for some of those big performances? Yes. But all the way through here, remember, without Jabril Peppers, right? You had Julian. Now, you had Julian Love as well dealing with some injuries. He actually was on the field. You mentioned it. This is also a game where they gave up 17 points, and the touchdown to Cup was really the lone one mistake that they had defensively in this game where he's dropping back. You see Blake Martinez drop back in coverage. It's over the top. Uh, I believe it's Bradbury gets kind of caught in this middleman, no land kind of space, and it goes for a touchdown. But to complete that thought just around the, the stat lines here, get inside those receiving numbers for them. Cup with that big play, the long was 55. So he had five catches for 69 yards. So they, they, they literally shut him down to that point in the game. Even Robert Woods, just six for 35 as well. And down the line you go. No big stat lines here. It really was. And by the way, so I've been speaking highly about the defense, what we've seen this year. I think everyone's been pleasantly surprised about how effective they've been. This is a game, the first game this season, I'll say, on the defensive side where you shut them down. I mean, you go into a game against the L.A. Rams and you hold into that stat line 17 points when you have the offense struggling the way that it has been. That is about as shut down a performance as you can have on the defensive side of the ball. And I bet by the time we get to the back end of the season, that's going to be one of the worst performances that the Rams have put out there on the offensive side of the ball this year. And then that's really impressive and unfortunate because it still comes in a game where the Giants only put up nine points. Well, what's interesting about that is this league right now is going way over on all the point totals. There are points to be had in every single game. So, so mm-hmm. you know, it's it's not just as simple as saying, you know, 17 points, Giants should win the game. It's 17 points in this era where they're not calling uh, – they're calling about half as many offensive holding penalties than yeah. they ever did before because they're really wanting to open up the game for the offenses. And so giving up 17 points to this Rams team – is certainly exactly what we expect from the Giants. I think if you look at the Rams for the rest of the year, 17 might be the lowest total they have in their their remaining games. Um, So for me, I can't say enough about how well the defense played. You know, Bradbury played all pro, all world again. I thought he was was really good. He recovered that fumble early. He just finds a way to be involved in all the big-time plays the Giants need him to be. But, you know, Blake Martinez – exactly the type of leader that we wanted in, you know at the linebacker position you know the, the downtown rams podcast talked about how he was such an underrated signing where you know the packers just kind of let him know, let him go and said we could probably fill these gaps he has truly become the identity of the giants in the middle of the field and and it's it's fantastic because we actually do have an identity now on defense yeah. The yeah. tough part, Leader, leadership, leadership at that leadership, at, you know, at the defensive level, at the linebacker spot, the, as we know, historically such a crucial position for the giants. It, it, exactly. And so for as well as the defense played Adam, it was like they were singing from a different song sheet on offense. I, I, I just don't know what to make of the offense. And before I, I just yell and scream, I wanted to get your initial thoughts. Yeah, listen, uh, it, it's a. I, I try to, as we talk, we, we know, right? Bit of despair for for yours truly coming out of that 49ers game. The, diff, the difficulty for me is I'm, I'm trying to to control the expectations around the offensive line when you have a rookie in Thomas, 
Now, the Hernandez piece is is getting you know looming larger and larger as you work your way through the season and he struggles. You know, you have Nick Gates in a new role. I thought that he really held his own against Donald. So I thought that was something you could hang your hat on. And we're going to get into the offensive line specifically again a little bit later. But, but overall, just an inability to be effective, an inability to move the ball effectively, and then also the inability to really punch it in, right? Get get points on the board. Two out of these three field goals that Gano puts up for you were in a position to be looking to score. One was a longer field goal. The other two, you got to be trying to punch those in. And this isn't silver lining in or say what they could or you know could have done, but that that puts you right in this game. Two touchdowns and a field goal, that's 17 points. That means that you're tied when you have the ball in the closing moments of this. You know, so it, it, it's it's just – and by the way, I, I will say this because we'll, we're going to get into some other areas of the offense later. I will say that you saw different things from Jason Garrett in this one. You saw a lot of pre-snap motion in this one. You saw a, a lot of different lineups. You saw Evan Ingram in the backfield flexing out to the tight end position. You saw multiple rotational pieces going from one side of the line to the other. So I do think we also have to be a little bit patient on the offensive side, understanding a new system. I highlighted this on Twitter yesterday that that officially marked 16 games for Daniel Jones. So now this begins his second year evaluation. So, but but it, it, it's still no less frustrating. In today's NFL, nine points back to back weeks. They're averaging, I think, twelve and a half per game for the year. It doesn't matter what the version is of the offense. You can't be doing this right now, in spite of two key injuries, and we know that it's just unacceptable to be performing this way on that side of the ball. It it was not pretty at all. You know, <clears throat> you look at Devonta Freeman was trying to run between the tackles, but he had eleven carries for thirty three yards. You know, Daniel Jones led the team again with 45 rushing yards. Anytime you're, unless you're Baltimore, anytime your quarterback is leading in rushing, it's just not it, like you, you don't even need to look at the rest of the stat sheet. It's not a good I lighted that too. Through, I think it was like through the first three weeks only. It's Lamar Jackson leads, leads Baltimore in rushing and Daniel Jones leads the Giants. And, it, and it's, it's not good for one of those two teams. And I think, you know, I'll let you decide who's having the better statistical season based on results. Well, it, it's part of their design and their game plan, obviously, in Baltimore, and, and they they like that. It seems like Daniel Jones takes off and runs most of the time because he's getting pressure in the backfield when he's dropping back to pass. You know, <clears throat> Daniel Jones and Wayne Gallman both had six rushes for 45 yards to lead the team. Yeah. It, was, it was not pretty. I mean, Daniel Jones threw for 190 yards. It felt like it was 90 yards, not 190 yards, because – you know, on that last drive where the Rams are playing, you know, back in, in, the, in their zone defense, you know, you get a 35-yarder to, to Slayton. They're moving the ball down the field. I think before that drive, he may have only had 140 yards passing. So when you, when you look at it and say 140 yards passing, you know, under 100 yards basically rushing, where is the offense? Like, what what, what is the philosophy of the offense if we're not throwing the ball for yards and we're not rushing the ball for yards? Like, where are we manufacturing points? And that's why, you know, every time they kick a field goal, I sit there and I say, okay, well, we're still kind of in the game. Like, we didn't just lose the game on that play, so I guess we'll take a field goal. But, like, <clears throat> to your point, we cannot win football games scoring three points. And I don't necessarily think there was a single call that Joe Judge made by kicking a field goal that, that cost them the game. But it felt like death by a thousand paper cuts. It was it was like 
every time we're taking three points here, we're just not giving ourselves a legit opportunity to win. We have to find a way to score a touchdown. And it, it was so tough to watch the defense play so well and the offense to be so inept at getting the ball anywhere near the end zone. Yeah, and listen, one of the things you can say that they again went forward on fourth down in this game from the New York football Giants side of things, and they actually have been really effective on fourth down conversions. They were one of two in yesterday's game. I believe that now puts them at six of eight on the season. Now, you can say that's great that they're doing well. You can also say there's a reason why I have to go for it on fourth down sometimes. So, you know, I, I think that, 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 that Joe Judge is being selective in those decisions. You don't want to have a game that's made at, the, at that point sitting at 10-6, go for it you know, midway through the third quarter to try to, to try to surge, then you give it up. It's a quick touchdown the other way or even a field goal, and now all of a sudden on the back end of this game, you're sitting there at 20-9 to nine and you're already out of it, et cetera. So I, I think that it's difficult for Joe Judge and this coaching staff to feather that line of understanding. We can see how long is the defense going to hold, and then when that one big play comes, you look back and think maybe some other things could get done. Uh, let, let's do it in this order because you start to get in a little bit on Daniel Jones here. As we've highlighted we're at the quarter point of the season, so not so much in this episode, but Wednesday's episode will probably focus on player evaluation through the first quarter of the season and where we think we are across this roster, and we'll probably start to hear some things about changes that could come. Daniel Jones in that game, we were talking about Jerry Goff and holding him and really styming what has been a solid season for him where he's completed 70% of his passes, but in this particular game here, we are, of course, looking at a situation where Daniel Jones had a 42.9 QBR. Uh, and that's to this point of the season now, uh, and two touchdowns, five interceptions. You mentioned it as well there, the long drive, you come close. Uh, where are you on on Daniel Jones and evaluating? Because I really, I, I did take this step back and say, this is now, starting next week, start of your second season worth of games. We know it's a new system. We know it's a developing offensive line, but you get down to the final play there. And I had this debate again with pessimistic Mike about it. I really, I looked at that play and maybe we could just dissect that for now on Daniel Jones. I think I thought a couple of things. You have a minute on the game clock there. You're, you're hurrying up to the line. You're keeping the Rams on their heels a little bit. That being said though, it's a second and five there. You have an opportunity 32 seconds. They snap that ball on the play clock. You can get set just for a second. Just make sure you assess the defense and understand what you want to do. He rolls out, starts to move towards the line of scrimmage, and now it gets to the point of, and this is the, the debate that we were getting into, should he have thrown this thing clear out of the end zone and just reset himself on third down? Should he have committed to running forward? I made the case that you can say go do that, but then it's third down, and you have to hustle up, and you don't have timeouts. I was fine with him noticing that Ratley got open there and he doesn't make the throw. On the replay, he throws that thing a yard inside when he all he had to do was throw it in the three-yard window to the outside, and Ratley can be leaning away out of bounds, making a catch inside the five. So that entire sequence, I, I was completely fine with it, and it was just a bad ball. Is that where you stood on that? Because I, in the debate that I was having with Mike was, is Daniel Jones capable of making that throw? Because his argument was, you need to know you can't make the throw, and that's why you tuck and run, or that's why you throw it away and reset yourself. I just looked at it as, didn't make the throw. Doesn't mean he can't make the throw. Yeah, I'm, I'm in the same ballpark as you, Adam. I don't, I don't mind the decision tree, decision-making process there. 
Yes, could he? It looked like he had a window to be able to run the ball forward. But again, time is ticking off the clock. He's trying to figure out: Can I make the first down? If I don't, then then we got to hurry up to to the to the line of scrimmage, and then I got I can't spike the ball. Like what what are we doing? When in fact he looks down the field, and for that split second, Ratley's wide open, and he's like, I can chunk this thing away and get us inside the ten yard line very quickly if mm-hmm. I just make this throw. And to your point, it's it's just he he threw it on the wrong side of Ratley. Like you have to know that the coverage is on the inside. I didn't see anyone outside, you know, near the near the out of bounds marker. You got to throw that only where your where your guy can catch it. So I, I'm I'm the, I when when it happened, I wasn't throwing things at the TV, screaming, "Oh goodness, Daniel Jones again!" I kind of just said, "Look, you know, you're playing from behind." The, having to get the two point conversion, even if we score there was still sitting in the back of my mind. Like it would be such a giants thing to do this week. If we score a touchdown here and then just don't get the two point conversion. Well, that, that actually so pessimistic. Mike, exactly. He goes, I was waiting for them to score and then not get the two point conversion. Like that's where you <laughs> thought this game was going to, you know, get away quote unquote from the giants. The other thing that go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. The, the only other thing I was going to say is it, this is a, this is a systemic problem for the New York giants offense. It's not just one play where Daniel Jones tries to make a play with a minute left, you know, mm-hmm. down eight points. The New York football giants are dead last in the NFL in touchdown percentage in the red zone. They literally score one out of every five times they get the ball within the 20 yard line. That is far and away the worst in the league. You have, you know, the other side of it is Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks. They score 86% of the time when they're inside the 20. They score a touchdown 86% of the time when they're inside the 20. So, like, that's that's like the best bet you could ever have in your life. When Russell Wilson gets the ball at the 15-yard line, you're like, they're going to score a touchdown. When Daniel Jones gets it at the 15-yard line, I don't know what's going to happen. Right. And the irony of Russell Wilson throwing a, a pick yesterday in the end zone, the, the, right. the, the blasphemy of it for him. But but to your point, though, you know, so you go by those percentage. Now, 86 is insane. But even if you, you say you split the difference of 20 to 80, all right, give me 50%. You know, one out of every two trips. Again, you look at this game and you say that's how you're at 17 points already in the fourth quarter just by taking one of those. Let's just say we get one out of three of our trips in and around the red zone because we were a little bit further on one of those field goals. But just convert one of those opportunities and, and then you are in a game when your defense is playing the way it is. And then you start to be able to think about, well, now there is a little bit of pressure here on the opposition. They need to make a couple of plays. And, and, and to that end, the Rams always in this game in particular, it felt like they were saying, listen, the defense is they're handling us. But but we can let's just try let's just stay in it let's just stay focused here we'll get our one big play probably you know offensively and then it's going to be up to the Giants to be able to come back and we don't think that they're going to be capable of doing it so it, it is across the roster like you say um, and I do have one more thing on Daniel Jones but go ahead you talked about even if we could get fifty percent in the red zone like meet meet in the middle yeah Adam do you know where fifty percent would put us yes. Where, where where would it put us? Let's. I'll just say top fourteen. Okay, it would put us twenty sixth in the league. Oh right? wow, really? So we would move up oh, six yeah. spots. That's that shows how egregious this offensive red zone conversion is. Like even if we doubled our output from where we are now, we would still be in the bottom five in the league. Where do you go? Is, uh, what, what is what is top fifteen? Like who, top fifteen? Like what's the percentage for you know the fifteenth best team? That that. <clears throat> so if, if you say. Th- 15 or 16, 16 is the LA chargers. They're at 60%. 
Okay. So, oh, so, but so there, that's the, the so that's the difference there too, right? 50% your 26th and a 10% or one at one more out of every 10 trips. And you're talking about being a top half of the league kind of team and a team like the chargers who, in spite of where their record, you know, they with Tyrod Taylor and all that they're dealing with, I you just want to get that sense, right. Of like, what are the teams in and around that marker? Because that just means being a middle of the road kind of team, right. Being an average team in the red zone can get you into 20th 20 ish kind of range there the last thing before we move off this and those are and those are those are the concerns you have to watch for as we move through this season with the offense the last thing on daniel jones i will say and they mentioned this on a broadcast a number of times and i don't know if it's a product of trying to get trying to go with your first read because you feel like you need to get it out early and i think back to eli manning in the latter stage of his career and and getting a little trigger happy because of the pressure they said it though a number of times. Daniel Jones is staring down his options. He is he is locked in. I think as the as they said on the broadcast, the, the stripe on his helmet is straight lined. It does not pivot off and look at second and third options. Now we know that the separation for wide receivers has been a problem for the Giants as well. So you're really talking about probably, I would think, the offense is saying, Hey, listen, make the read, get the ball out of your hands. But unfortunately, it means that if the first option is your best option, as you hope, Daniel Jones is like, let's get there. Come on, come on, come on, come on. So I can pull the trigger. And you saw a lot of that yesterday. So that's probably the next thing that I really start to look for over the next quarter of the season is, are you starting to look around? And that again, goes back to the offensive line. And we're going to dive in on that a little bit deeper for now. Let's switch our attention to the, uh, I'll, I'll say the circus aspect of, of this game. I, I know you want to have fun with it. I, I'm going to have a hard time doing so. But uh, if, for those unfamiliar, Golden Tate has a family relationship with a player on the Rams. And that's, of course, Jalen Ramsey, who is married to Golden Tate's sister. There's been some. Uh, well, not married, not married. Or, or in a relationship with and has yeah. children with. And has some issues within that, according to Golden Tate. Don't really know what those things extend to. Let's keep it to the football field where these guys were chippy. They got into it after a couple of plays and they got into a scrum on the back end of this game. Um, uh, Following it, I I, I went ahead and said, and this is regardless of this thing, but it it does factor in, by the way. I have no functionality for Golden Tate on this roster, and I don't. I, I don't think that there's any reason for him to be here. If it was possible for the Giants to pitch him off here before the trade deadline for a bucket of balls or whatever it was, I don't care. I don't see a reason for him to be on this roster. And you seem to have a different take on this, but but feel free to enjoy yourself first. I know, I know, Andy, you're you're bubbling over with with pleasure about what you saw. Ah, uh, you know, page six, TMZ, all that stuff. It, 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 I I I live for some of that type of drama, and so Golden Tate delivered it. Um, you, you you buried a couple of very significant leads in terms of why they were fighting, which I think is important. A, a lot of Giant fans didn't see that it boiled over after the game where there was a massive scrum of like a hundred players were on the field while those two were throwing punches at each other. Yeah. And like after the whole field cleared, Jalen Ramsey was the only guy still walk, pacing back and forth on the field, screaming at himself. Yeah. And then to that point, Jalen Ramsey went outside the Giants locker room before like anyone changed and was banging on the door, trying to get in to try to get at golden Tate. And you know, the, the, the background story, I know you don't want to get into it. I, I love getting into it because it's, it's not about me. Pretty frankly, <laughs> frankly you know? as long as it wasn't about me and my family. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. But um, you know, uh, Jalen Ramsey has two children um, with golden Tate sister, Brianna. And there's all this different stuff about kind of a, a little bit of a falling out that they had. And, while she was pregnant last year, 
with Jalen Ramsey's child, she he started posting photos of him with a new girlfriend and him with his new main squeeze saying how much he loves his new girlfriend, which just in general is pro- like if, if you knew if you know anything about social media, it's while someone is pregnant, you probably shouldn't be posting about how amazing this new girl is that you're seeing. I don't, yeah. You know, just just word to the wise for Jalen Ramsey, big listener of the podcast. Big fan of the show. Yeah. But, but <laughs> so, so, so it's understandable that Golden Tate is, is a little bit irate and angry with, with all the different stuff that goes on. Now, now when we pivot to the football field. Yes, please. Let's get to the football side of things here, Andy. Explain, explain this to me. So, what is the incredible value that Golden Tate has brought to the roster? Brought in on a four-year deal with ga- big guaranteed money, suspended for four games last year, starts this year injured, is over 30 years old, where wide receivers fall off a cliff, and is a redundant asset relative to the players you have on this roster. Now, I know you're probably going to say, but look, Sterling Shepard isn't on the field, and you need healthy possible weapons. Fantastic. He had four catches on six targets this past game for 20 yards. He clearly, like, it, it just... He's not a dynamic weapon inside of our offense. I'll give you this before you even say anything. He would probably be a valuable asset on a good team, on a playoff bound team, right? He'd be a nice second or third wide receiver on another roster. He doesn't have any value for us. So you went ahead and spent money on something that you easily could have gotten in the draft with a mid, you know, third, fourth round pick if you wanted to and gotten a wide receiver that would have been serviceable in that role. Instead, you bring in this guy, you lock him in now. You end up paying him for multiple seasons. And what does he give you? And by the way, he had a couple of drops in the game too. While, while he's busy worrying about getting into it with Jalen Ramsey, he's dropping passes that could have been going for first downs along the way. Adam, I, I understand your frustration with Golden Tate, but I feel like it's misdirected. I, I understand that he is not the dynamic playmaker that we hoped to be spending $10 million a year on. But, but let's just- $10 million play- a year. Yep, $10 million a year. But let's just break down what our wide receiving group looks like. There is no Odell Beckham in our wide receiving group, who, by the way, just went off yesterday. Like put on a yeah, show against the Cowboys, right? Oh, we had, we had the debate too yesterday uh, when I was talking to people is, you know, it's, it's like, listen, I know he's a problem, whatever. But when you talk about what this offense is lacking, it's just somebody who really takes it over the top and pulls away coverage and all that sort of thing. Obviously, a player like that would make a big difference, uh, you know, for this roster right now. And I know it's neither here nor there, but yeah, he, he looked in form yesterday for Cleveland. And good for him, by the way. Yeah, I mean, I would welcome him back with open arms because he is the type of you know game-changing player that we need. And to, to that point, I look at the wide receiver room right now, and I see Damian Ratley, who's 25, 20, 26 years old. C.J. Board, 25 years old. Sterling Shepard, can't stay on the field, can't stay healthy, 27 years old. Darius Slayton, 23 years old. We have a very, very, very young wide receiving core. We we do like, you know, if you if you remove Golden Tate from this wide receiving core, you're talking about easily by far the youngest wide receiving group in the league. And there is something to be said about veteran leadership being able. You know, oh, 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 oh! There's something to be said about veteran leadership. If you're not getting suspended for performance enhancing drugs in your first year of your contract, if you're not getting into scrums with Jalen Ramsey in the game, that'd be great, man. I would love the veteran value of having Golden Tate on your team, but he's not a veteran value because he doesn't lead by example. He's literally getting into a personal scrum in the game as opposed to catching balls and trying to help the offense. Listen, if if Jalen Ramsey and Golden Tate get in a fight on the field and they both get ejected, 
That is what you call veteran leadership by Golden Tate because he realizes that Jalen Ramsey is way more valuable to the Rams than Golden Tate is to the Giants. Like mixing it up and and getting under that's the- not what, but that's not what he's realizing. Don't 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 do that. Don't say that. Oh, Golden Tate realizes that it's a oh if I if I get, if we both get ejected from this game, then that's a win for our team. That's not how, that's not what that is. That's not what he's thinking about. He's thinking about trying to get into Jalen Ramsey's face because he's pissed off about an off the field thing. And I'm not even getting into whether or not personally he should be completely justified to be pissed off at Jalen Ramsey. But don't try to paint this picture that he's taking his personal issues with Jalen Ramsey and then applying it to the giants and saying oh well because i have a problem with him and he's clearly a better player at his position than i am and at mine if i can get him kicked out of this game then that'll be a real coup for us on the offensive side of the ball like that's such bs man i mean that's that's what agitators do i'm not saying that golden tate is thinking about that that's in the back even if that is what he's trying to do he didn't accomplish it how about that? Even well, if that was his goal, he didn't even get that done. So, so where's the value but, in doing the but, trying to do it and doesn't even get it done? Okay, so so Adam, let's walk down the path with Golden Tate because he seems to be a hot button kind of guy for you at this point, just because yeah, you know, his his production is not matching what we're paying him, and his age is not uh, conducive to the rebuild that the New York Giants are going to be undertaking over the next 18, 24 months. Completely appreciate that. I'm I'm struggling to understand that the Giants. What can they get for for someone like Golden Tate? Are you saying are you saying for a seventh round pick you would ship him out tomorrow? Like you you'd be ready to go, move on. And then the second question is, what do you think that does to Daniel Jones's ability to really see what we have in him? Knowing that, like, okay, now we're just going to give that many more snaps to CJ Board, who we just signed. Off, off of waivers or, oh, Damian Ratley, the guy that we claimed three weeks ago. Like, we, we got to have some kind of consistency. We got to have some kind of veteran leadership in the wide receiver room, if nothing else. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I really don't care. Uh, yeah, yeah, seventh round pick, great, whatever. You know, do I, do I think there's a team out there that would give a sixth round pick for him, you know, the right team in the right set of circumstances? Possibly. He doesn't bring any value. I'm sorry. He doesn't bring value to the roster. He's not elevating Daniel Jones play. He's not the proverbial safety valve for Daniel Jones. That's what Sterling Shepard is. And when he's on the field and healthy, and that's unfortunate, and it is a drawback to Sterling Shepard. And we, I don't know if I mentioned it on the podcast or not. It's going to be a conversation for the Giants with him in the offseason about his contract and what we're paying him and needing to restructure that so we can afford to make some moves if we need to, to bolster the wide receiver core. But when you see Sterling Shepard, he's dynamic. He is what Golden Tate once was and he does he doesn't bring any value to the team he doesn't elevate daniel jones play because if he was then he'd be making some of the plays on a week-to-week basis to help daniel jones out and i really don't care yes give the reps to to a ratley who looked pretty good yesterday and i'm not saying that he oh that he's going to turn into a golden tate over the next four four seasons no there's also a reason by the way that even though he was inactive the giants elevated austin mack up to the active roster who's a six foot two guy who's good running routes who can run after the catch he, that, that If you don't think that there's a correlation there between Sterling Shepard being injured and the lack of production out of Golden Tate over the first four games of the season and elevating a young player, that's exactly what the Giants are looking to do. How do we get better? How do we get more dynamic here at the wide receiver position? And knowing that, listen, the free agency market is bare. You're not going out and getting you know Antonio Brown. We're not bringing that mess in either. So I, I just don't, I don't see it. And I know across this roster, you can look and see where they've brought in veteran players and the impact that they've had. Bradbury on the defensive side, right? Or a Blake Martinez at the linebacking core, or even a Cam Fleming on the offensive line and just offering some level of stability. But that that's not what Golden Tate is giving you right now. 
I'm not seeing the return on investment in any way, shape, or form. So no, like I, I don't, I, it, I don't, I would not see a drawback to being like, hey, next week we have inactive Golden Tate, and we have, let's say Sterling Shepard comes back. You know, uh, he have to wait one week anyway with a foot injury, put on IR. So starting in week six, if Sterling Shepard comes back and he's healthy, and you have inactive Golden Tate, and you start playing Mac, or you bring up Benjamin Victor to look at him, or what, you know, whatever the case may be, whatever you want to do, it's not going to impact anything. It changes nothing. It changes nothing in terms of what Daniel Jones is going to or not accomplish. The biggest factors to Daniel Jones' success this year is Evan Ingram doing his job. Is Darius Slayton continuing to develop? Is Sterling Shepard being able to be healthy? And is the complement of, of, of you know running back by committees being able to move the ball effectively? It's the offensive line playing well in front of him. Golden Tate does not move the needle about his success. And Golden Tate doesn't do anything to help the other receivers either. He's not taking double coverage away. He's not taking the over-the-top safety has to spy on Golden Tate. So that's the problem too. He doesn't impact what defensive has to do to your other receivers either. He's a zero. He's a zero-sum player for us. And that's not even a knock on him. He's good somewhere else. He's not good for this team. Well, I will say a couple things, Adam. First, it's interesting that you like to move the goalposts when we talk about the wide receiver position because you're like, he does nothing. If he's inactive next week, that's great because we have Sterling she- – oh, wait. We don't have Sterling Shepard because he's not healthy. He's on IR. That's not moving the goalposts. It's just, it's just me saying, yes, he's on IR. He comes back in week six. It's just the reality of where the wide receiving core right, but, is right now. But, but if we look at next week and we say Golden Tate's inactive, what does that mean? That means no Sterling Shepard. That means no Golden Tate. And now it's Damian Ratley, Darius Slayton, C.J. Board. And, and Evan and, Ingram, and, Austin Mack, yeah, is probably yeah, and, what it would look like, and, yes. and potentially Austin Mack gets gets promoted. Uh, you know, he was at, he was inactive, but was promoted from the practice squad. Yeah, and, and and you're just saying, yeah, that's completely fine. Like that's that's not an issue for Daniel Jones at all. It doesn't stun his growth or development. It doesn't do anything. And then the second piece of it is you are missing the fact that Golden Tate is is a relatively good run blocking wide receiver. Like he's that's one of the things that's that fine. he yeah. that he is known that's for. A fair, that's a fair point. And, and so like. For, for me, I, I just I don't I don't necessarily look at the player in Golden Tate and get as angry as you. Like I, I understand that he's not producing, but guess what? Daniel Jones only threw for 190 yards. It wasn't like he was throwing the ball over the yard and Golden Tate wasn't getting open. He did have some drops. I agree with you on that. There's a four million dollar cap hit for the Giants. They can get out of the contract at the end of the year. It, it's not the end of the world. I think it's more important to have a veteran leader in the wide receiver room to help some of these younger wide receivers come along. Oh, by, oh, by the way, though, it's like I, I would take a flyer also on a guy. Look, look, let me let me be clear because we, I know we need to move off. I know we need to move off of it, but it's as much a referendum on Dave Gettleman's choice to sign him as it is on Golden Tate. Again, I don't think that Golden Tate is a bad receiver. He's just not, his value is so diminished on this roster at this point of the Giants franchise right now. That, that That's really what it's about. And I would just as soon is what they should have been doing was looking to get a big-bodied veteran receiver to your point about still have a veteran presence in the room, but just a big bodied guy who could stretch the field a little bit. By the way, you want to talk about like, you want to go make a move and, and this isn't, I'm not even saying I, I'm, I'd be pot committed on this. You want to go pay somebody some money. 
Then why don't you go pay Ryan? An- why don't you go pay Ryan Anderson, who everyone agreed like the Jets are making a huge mistake. He's a bit of a weirdo. But by the way, Sam Darnold came right out and said like I love throwing with him. Got a great connection with him. They let him walk out the door to free agency. He goes down and signs in Carolina and is having a nice comp. Is having a really nice season for himself down there with Teddy Bridgewater. And he's the guy that does the thing that OBJ does, not in the same vein, but he stretches the defense deep down the field like that. So it, it is. It, it is much more a referendum on Dave Gettleman and that choice than it is on Golden. Tate specifically so you you the, the points about run blocking 100 the points about veteran leadership i understand that i don't necessarily hang my hat on him as being a veteran leader for this team so much as being a veteran who understands how to play the position and that's all fine and well he'll have some nice games along the course of this season so don't don't you know i'm not i'm not sitting here saying that and he's a total bum but it, it's just about missteps poor choices and now unfortunately right you know right wrong indifferent whether you knew it on the front end or not suspension all, you know the, the there's a squabble with with, with Jalen Ramsey it just doesn't speak to a guy who's putting the you know putting the team first and looking to bring the veteran presence that you want unfortunately friends we quickly move off of that here uh just to run through a couple of things here before we get out the door the undermanned as we said defense on that side of the ball a couple of things. Ryan Lewis ends up playing 74% of the defensive snaps in this one. Yadam got about 30, uh, 30% or so. And Corey Ballantyne doesn't see the field in this one. In spite of not having peppers, you think you're going to shuffle some pieces around. He doesn't sniff it. So do we, we officially close the book on Corey Ballantyne? I, mean, I, th- I think going into next year, I wouldn't be surprised if he is not on this roster and furthering the, <laughs> the issue for Dave Gettleman does not seem to know how to find cornerbacks through the draft or, I mean, he can do it through free agency, but drafting cornerbacks has been a problem for him. Yeah. I mean, the, the challenge with Ballantyne, uh, the writing has been on the wall with all the different moves that, they, that they've made. They've you know promoted Ryan, Ryan Lewis. They, you know, paid a bunch of money to Madre Harper to come off of, of the practice squad um, out West. It, it, it's been clear that the giants are literally like if, if the, if, Corey Ballantyne didn't know the Giants are slowly trying to break up with him. Like, <laughs> he's, he's not reading the room. They're like, they're like, no, 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 Corey, we we love you, but we're just gonna we're just gonna bring in three other cornerbacks. Like, just they're just gonna. Well, can you just give me your playbook too while you're at it here? Like, just let's move it just one seat over. Like, if you could slide that playbook over to Harper, that'd be great. We'll, we'll, I promise I'll get you one next week. Like, don't worry about it. And then he's just standing there, like, what what just happened? Like, where did everything go? And to, to your point, I, I would not, you know, I'll, I'll take it a step further. I don't believe that Corey Ballantyne will be on this roster by week 10. Like, I, I just don't. If if McKinney can come back at any point and we can get healthy with Peppers and, and Madre Harper shows a little bit, our secondary starts being bolstered a little bit. I If, if he's not going to be on the roster next year, he's not going to be on the roster come week 12. So for me, that, that was pr- pretty interesting uh, to see that he got no snaps. They're literally trying to find anyone that can take snaps away from Ballantyne. Um, you know, when, when we talk about some of the other surprises, I had touted all last week that I wanted to see Shane Lemieux on the offense. And <laughs> yeah. Adam, he got in. He got in for that one snap. And you, as we all knew it was going to be at fullback, 
we we just we just knew that that was going to be what was happening for Shane, right? That's right where you get the mantle line up. Um, as I obviously, as you say, I all anticipated. Uh, he he slid in there a couple of times. We talk about those uh, you know, percentage snap plays when you run through the offensive line, uh, highlighting Shane Lemieux. Now, I do think it, it is noteworthy though. Even though you put him in at fullback, you're talking about seeing what his impact can be in front of this running game, and if he can be quick enough to get out in front and, and set up a nice block. It's interesting that you don't see, I haven't seen a lot of Elijah Penny though, which I don't know if that's a referendum on Penny, the way the offense is getting run, you know, whatever it looks like here, but you chose to go with a guy like Lemieux on a handful of plays. And then the other thing, even when you talk about the offensive line as well, Lemieux, by the way, he got one snap, 1% of the offensive snap. So it was that one big, beautiful play. The other things though, on the offensive line is Pert got into this game in this one. And this is actually probably where we'll close out here. I have some other thoughts about the defensive side, but we'll come in uh, middle of the week here and really start to evaluate because uh, Tay Crowder got a big handful of of reps there on the defensive side of the ball as well. You also saw on the back end of this in lieu of Peppers being out there. Uh, who, who do we have in the back end of this thing? I'm going to, of course, lose track of his name here. So I'll circle back when I get a chance. But Holmes also played well there. Pert, however, was brought in at the end of the first half for that closeout drive. Got some reps there at right tackle. Thought maybe Fleming was dinged up a little bit. Turns out, no. They just brought in Pert to get him a little bit of a taste. And we talked about it before we started. Thought it made sense to have this opportunity for him in a hurry-up offense scenario. Less likely to be facing a lot of pressure from the defensive front. What, what, what are your thoughts about this? You can include Lemieux in it. Is this the progressive motion that the Giants are working through this season to get these young guys plugged into positions, especially given the struggles of Hernandez on that side and just knowing at some point we're going to need to make these transitions. Yeah, I, I have no problem with Pert starting to see some action. I think you you summed it up best where it's like in small doses, you're not going to overwhelm him. It's situational where we're in hurry up. We're, we're you know at the final two minutes of the half. You, you know that we're going to be moving a little bit quicker. So it, it, it's it's the perfect opportunity to bring Pert in to get him some reps. 12 uh, reps, 18%, just so everybody knows. I mean, yeah. they're not insignificant, you know, a fifth, of, you know, a fifth almost of, of the, of the snaps on offense. Yeah. I, I, and I think it's good. And and we already know that Cam Fleming is not going to be the longer term solution for the giants uh, on the right side of, of the offensive line. So the earlier that we can find out whether these young talent that we've drafted have the, the capability to be here long-term, I'm all for that. I, I just, you know, I, I got on this thread last week about Will Hernandez and and I just (laughs) can't get away from it, Adam. Like I, 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 the more I think about how inept our offensive line was last year with Solder and Pulley or Jalapio, you know, Hernandez was sitting in between both of them. You look Mm at, you know, Andrew Thomas struggling a little bit, most pressures. You look at Nick Gates having early struggles, like Hernandez is still the guy that's sitting in between the two of them. And and his pro football focus grade is a 50, which is more than replace, like it is replacement level. It is, it is more than fair to question his ability to handle that left guard position. I, I'm, I'm going to say it until I think we make the change that I think we're already showing, even if it's one snap, like Shane Lumu had seen zero snaps. We're going to be getting younger across this offensive line. I'm saying that Shane Lemieux by week 10 should be the left guard. And until Hernandez does something noteworthy that I feel like he's helping in the run game or pass blocking or whatever, I'm going to continue to bang on that drum. 
Yeah, and I think I think you're right, and I think this is what you need to see happen in a season, obviously, where we're 0-4, right? Like, how are we progressing? How are we checking boxes for next year? And that includes, by the way, starting the season with Ballantyne in the starting lineup, right? To say, and now we find out through three weeks, we learn this isn't going to be the answer, and that's what you're realizing. When he doesn't play a snap, that's the Giants saying, that's going to be it for Corey Ballantyne. We can't, we don't look at him in that way. And that's why you keep seeing guys come in and Ryan Lewis playing strong there offensively. Uh, you know, in the first half, you saw Thomas struggled Four pressures. One led to a sack second half looked a little bit better. He's going to take his lumps. I wonder, and am curious about what the giants are thinking in terms of as Pert starts to get some reps, Cam Fleming has played serviceably the last few weeks is there any scenario where you know where you're trying to protect Thomas in some form or fashion? I, I think it is the baptism by fire. You live with those results because you know this skill set is there. And then to your point, that's when you start to say, well, if we're not moving Thomas, if you know if we're, we're, we got to let him learn on the fly here, then a third year player at left guard who seems to be having his issues, who's supposed to be the run first guy for us, as his issues continue, you start to say. Let's get a look, and maybe it's through the fullback position initially with Shane Lemieux, and you just say, if Lemieux can show us a couple of things here over a handful of weeks, then we'll give him an opportunity to start there at left guard. And once that move happens, again, I hate to say it, big picture here, and this is what we'll get into probably on Wednesday. Now you start to look back at Dave Gettleman and the referendums around the picks you've made, the moves you've made, and as especially on the offensive line. Every piece that does not stay locked in is is a huge issue for a guy that's always hung his hat on the line. It, it, it's pretty simple to me. Will Hernandez is there to be a hog molly and be really good at run blocking. We are not a good running team. Daniel right. Jones is leading the team in rushing the last few weeks because he's out of the pocket scrambling, doing all of those things. And so if the job that Will Hernandez is supposed to do is be a good run blocker and he is not a good run blocker on a team that cannot run the ball – then why is he there? Like the, his, his strength is our weakness and his strength is not looking very good right now. So uh, listen, we have a ton of different places uh, across the entire team where we, where we need to, to make some changes. That's one where I look at that maybe can, can in, infuse some life uh, into this offensive line. And maybe we can, we can just look a little bit more dynamic if we give Daniel Jones a little bit more time. Yeah, listen, that's the nature of it is moving through this roster, making some real hard decisions about where we stand at certain positions and then knowing what we need to address after this season. Uh, Colbert is the player who came in there in the absence of Peppers, played 74% of the snaps on the defensive side of the ball, looked pretty good as well. So you're getting a couple little sniffs of some guys here. It was actually Julian Love who was in the game on that big over-the-top play for the touchdown to Cup. So you're trying to get sample sizes and see what pieces fit. And unfortunately for Giants fans, this is this is what it's going to look like it's going to be a rotational cast until you continue to plug in the pieces that are going to work for big blue on both sides of the ball we will be back in on wednesday and as we've said a couple times here start to break down player evaluation we'll get the full snap counts from week four on everybody and try to decide based off of who was injured who was in who was out this week where do we think things are trending as we move into the next four games here and even though it starts with a difficult one from a offensive perspective the dallas cowboys firing on all cylinders at least on one side of the ball then we get into the washington football team then we get philly and we get into a lot of divisional games over the next six matchups so an opportunity to still Get back involved in a division that just refuses to run away from Big Blue. Follow us uh, at One Giant Podcast on social media. Sign up on Sportscaster if you so choose to follow us and use hashtag OGP. 
And as Andy Makowitz, Makowitz, as Andy Makowitz wants you to know, as always, let's go Big Blue.